You are listening to Changing the Game with me, Wilson Casado. What is the game? The game is everything. Everything from the education you receive to the career or business you pursue. In regards to diversity and inclusion, though, there isn't a level playing field. The show will allow us to hear from those who are challenging the status quo. It is about creating a new future where things are done differently, a future with diversity and inclusion, and most importantly, a future where everyone has access to play the game. Welcome, everyone. We're finally back to another uh, another interview of Changing the Game. So I have been uh, away for a while, so happy to be back. And today, I'm very happy to have uh, Cheryl Mack with us. So uh, you, as you're going to see, uh, I, I believe that Cheryl uh, embodies the, the essence of changing the game. So the people that actually, you know, are not staying uh, uh, still, so it's going after, uh, you know, the dreams and, 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 and in a mission to change things in community, change things in what they're doing. This season is about innovation. So we're talking about, we're talking with uh, investors and founders. So here we go about Cheryl. Right? Cheryl is the CEO of Aussie Angels. She's on a mission to democratize angel investing in Australia and New Zealand. She's an active angel investor with more than 20 investments uh, and a venture partner at Black Nova VC. She leads an angel syndicate with over 130 investors. She is a strategic advisor for several startups, and in her spare time, she mentors for programs like StartMate and Founder Institute. I like the spare time. A community builder at heart, Cheryl recently held leadership roles in Stone and Chalk and the Australia Computer Society. Before that, she was the CEO of Starcom for four years and created a APAC-wide pitch for a $1 million competition. In case that's not fun enough, Cheryl is also regularly featured on Startup Daily as the pitch doctor. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, uh, I'm having fun already. So. <laughs> oh, good. Cheryl, <laughs> uh, uh, normally the first question is quite uh, standard. So t tell us a little bit more about yourself. So obviously I just read your bio. Uh, and what is that story that goes a little bit beyond the bio and who, who, who is Cheryl? Yeah, so I guess like my story started uh, several many years ago. Um, you may notice that I don't sound Australian. I'm uh, originally from Canada. I moved to Australia about seven years ago. And uh, when I got here, I started working for a company called freelancer.com. And through that role, I had a chance to build a company called StartCon. And uh, StartCon was a, a pretty cool uh, opportunity. I, I was able to bring founders, investors, and um, corporates together from all over Australia and eventually all over APAC as well. Um, and that was also where I started to get really interested in how to help founders connect with the right money if and when they needed it. 
um, because we had about 600 startups that went through the pitch competition each year. We also had about 500 investors on our list that came to our events. But it turns out if you put a thousand people in a room together and hope they just connect with the right people, that doesn't really work out. Um, so I started to work on the problem of, well, how do I connect the right people to the right people? Um, and I am, you know, I, I, I get called a super connector uh, often because I do like making those connections. And I really do like making um creating value within my network. And so I've, I've spent a lot of time building up a really strong network of people around me that can support each other. That's, uh, that's cool. So are you talking about coming to Australia seven years ago? Yeah. So, uh, I, I do remember that I founded our company here in, in Australia 10 years ago. And, and at that point in time, going after you know, that innovation ecosystem stakeholders and looking at, you know, what was available, the, you know, the incubators, the accelerators and et cetera. So uh, I wasn't too impressed with what I saw. So, you know, 10 years ago, I, I think what we went through in the 10 years uh, is quite significant, I guess. So I am in Western Australia, so Western Australia is... <laughs> Seems to be a little bit behind from where you are. I think uh, you are in, in Sydney, right? Yes, yes, I moved to Sydney. And you're absolutely right. Even seven years ago, the ecosystem was very nascent. Coming from North America, I was used to a lot more resources, a lot more just activity in the startup space. Um, I think I remember I when I first landed in Australia, I like I reached out to every startup person, every incubator accelerator um, program. And I think I covered the whole ecosystem in Sydney within like a couple weeks. And someone was like, oh, wow, you've only been here like a month and you already know everyone. And I was like, yeah, I just reached out and booked meeting with meetings with people. And to everyone's credit, they were super happy. Like everybody was open to chat with me. I'm this foreigner that lands in Australia. I'm like, hey, like, can we go to, can we go to a meeting? Um, you know, Murray at UTS or actually was at Fish Friends at the time was happy to sit down with me. Um, so like it, the ecosystem was pretty open, but it was very, very small. And um, you're 100% right. Like the, the level at which we have grown, even just in the time that I've been here, has been incredible. And we are scaling faster than a lot of our overseas counterparts. And I think that that's going to do us well in the next five to 10 years as well. Yeah, I agree with that. So, uh, sure, where, uh, Maybe the first question is, what is your, your background? Did you, did you went to university? Did you go to university back in Canada? So what, what, what is that? I did. <laughs> your, your degree background? Yes, I did. I went to the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. I studied business with a major in marketing. And uh, don't ask me to tell you any of my marketing things that I learned because I immediately uh, went to work at startups and started doing something called marketing automation uh, when that wasn't really a term. I just didn't want to do things that were repetitive. So I worked myself out of a job and then went on to the next thing. Uh, so yeah, I, I did go to university. Um, but I wouldn't say that I am exactly applying those specific marketing skills that I learned there. You know what I did learn at university, which I highly recommend people go. I learned how to socialize and I learned how to network and I learned how to work with different difficult people. So maybe, maybe, maybe the next question is, is about that. So you can see easily, you know, your, your energy, your willingness to connect people. So uh, where, where does that come from? Was that always natural for you? 
Yeah, I think I've always been like the biggest extrovert. Like I, I get told regularly by people that I'm the like the biggest extrovert they know. Um, I get my energy from people. I hate being alone. I just like, I love being out with my friends or startup people having some beers or wine. And so I'm just like naturally always, always out there connecting with people. Very nice. Uh, uh, you normally, uh, for, for people that are looking for, you know, uh, do, do what we do in this space of ecosystem. So in that sort of capital, uh, the social capital and that ability to connect to people. So uh, we can speak lower of the relevance of that. So it's interesting to see that for you, that comes naturally. So my story <laughs> is a big story of I struggle to actually get comfortable with people. But, but having said that, I agree with you. Uh, when I think about what, you know, what gives me energy today is all about those connections. So. Yeah. And uh, I think also like in, in investing in general, like investing is a team sport and it, it does take a level of being able to make friends with people so that when you, when they're investing in something cool, they tell you about it and they refer that person to you. Um, so it definitely takes a level of, of making sure that you can, you can be out there and be friends with people. Yeah, no, very cool. Uh, Cheryl, I'll take some risk here and I'll, I'll make a comment, right? So uh, I hope it doesn't make either you or myself uncomfortable. So it doesn't fit the profile of investors. I uh, look like a kind of you, you, you a young woman. Uh, and, you know, uh, normally when I talk to investors, I'm more older men. Yeah, old men with with a slightly lighter hair color, right? That's right. Um, so, uh, what 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 about that? So, uh, uh, is that was that ever a barrier, or how you frame yourself as an investor? Uh, you know, uh, with a new sort of uh, generation profile, how how is that for you? Yeah, definitely. Like, I I actually get this question a lot. Like, when I, I talk about angel investing quite a bit, um, and I've like I'm definitely a new generation of angel investor. I've only been investing for four years. So like, I don't have any big exits yet or anything exciting that I can point to and be like, Hey, this means I'm a good investor, but I have deployed capital. I have deployed arguably a lot of it. Um, and I get this question a lot. Like when I speak about angel investing, at least someone in the audience is like in some way, shape or form, usually like the more timid ones are like, so like, you know, your career seems like you haven't, you know, haven't gotten too far through it and you're already angel investing, like what's up with that? Or other people are just like, Hey, you're young, you're female. Like, how are you an angel investor? <laughs> so it's like some degree of that question. Um, but the reality is that like, I, I kind of fell into it. I didn't necessarily set out to become an angel investor when I first started. Um, it was more that I was advising a couple startups and one of them was just closing around and they had like 20K left. And I was like, I could do that. And then that happened again. Um, but once I did decide to be an angel investor, I set out to do it properly. Like when I talked to a couple investors who, you know, I told them what had happened and that I'd invested a couple companies, wasn't sure what I was doing. Like, tell me what's up. Um, you know, they, they said, well, you, you could stop now and you'll definitely lose that money that you've invested, but you won't lose any more. Or option B is you can continue. You'll probably still lose the money that you've invested in those two companies, but uh, you, you might have a chance at making it all back. And then some on the next one or two or 10, um, if you do another 10 companies and I chose option B and, um, and I, I went hard and, 
once I decided to do it, I just was like, well, I'm going to be an angel investor. But you know what the interesting thing is? I did not share that publicly anywhere until about a year in. And it took a mail (laughs) saying, Cheryl, you've written 10 checks. Like you're an angel investor. Why, why aren't you like, change your, like, I think he took my phone and like changed my Twitter on the spot to angel investor in 10 companies and counting. Um, and then I was like, yeah, this is dumb. Like I'm not a fraud here. I'm deploying capital and I am an angel. Why shouldn't I tell people that publicly? Interesting. That's good. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting how the journey is to, to, to adopt that identity and to recognize it. So, I'm, I'm, I'm. so look, uh, the way everyone, the way I uh, met Cheryl was when I was in a search for a product. So in the angel investing uh, community, there's a product in the US called AngelList, uh, which is uh, pretty, pretty well known. And, and that's where we have access to deals and etc. So, and I was told that Cheryl was doing something similar here in Australia. So that I, I assume that that's what Angel uh, Aussie Angels is. So do you wanna do you wanna let us know what is what is Aussie Angels? Yeah, so Aussie Angels is uh, a place where uh, angels can co-invest in the most seamless and fun way possible. Uh, for angels who are looking for great deal flow, they can follow lead investors who are already investing in companies that they love and are sharing their deal flow with others. Um, so you can join what's called a syndicate. And um, there's no commitment to invest uh, or, mi- or like minimum requirement um, or cost to join. But what it means is that you're joining a syndicate of people that are co-investing together with a lead investor, someone who finds the company, does the DD, um, writes up the notes on why they're investing and shares that with the members of their syndicate. And then those members can decide if they want to put their check in alongside that person's um, or not. And, and I run my own. I've got about actually 150 um, investors who are part of my syndicate who look at the deals that I'm investing in. And it's always, uh, it's always investor-led. So I never put forward a deal that I'm not investing in. It's always, I've decided to invest in this company. I've gone out and built their relationship with the founder, found this person, convinced them to let me come onto their cap table um, and, and written up the notes on why I'm investing and given that to people so that they can decide if they want to invest. Now, on the other side of things, if you are someone who wants to start an angel syndicate, um, and this is where you are coming from, Wilson, right. um, you know, if, if you're looking to start start an angel syndicate and and lead your own um, syndicate, the options in Australia, I looked at them and I was like, this sucks. It costs 50 to a hundred thousand dollars to set up an angel syndicate and a lot of time and effort and a lot of admin and a lot of the, the boring, tedious teeth pulling stuff that nobody likes to do, right? Like nobody likes herding cats and, and convincing or chasing investors for their money or their signatures or um, all of that stuff. And nobody likes dealing with compliance stuff. So ironically, <laughs> I set out to find a solution that would enable me to do the fun parts of running a syndicate, which is in, you know, find founders, build relationships with investors. And because I couldn't find a good solution, I decided to build it myself. And now I do all of the boring stuff for everyone else, including myself. Um, so I made my, I made, actually made it worse for myself, but I'm enabling a lot of other people to run their own syndicates. And I think that's the important part. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Well done. So uh, maybe, uh, maybe a question there for, for the listeners that uh, are not, 
completely familiar with what we're talking about. So uh, there are, when, when, you, when you invest in, so there are lots of different uh, options for you, for you to invest in, in, in the terminology that we use, there are different asset classes, right? So you can invest in, uh, in, in public stocks, you can uh, you know, invest in more uh, bank securities and, and, and then you have these startups and early stage investment as, as we talk about. So in, in, in this terminology as well, when we talk about angel investors, uh, so angel investors are originally uh, some people that are not interested to only deploy capital. Uh, the interest is somehow uh, get involved, get connect and provide some help. So the uh, uh, question for you is, uh, when, you, when, you, when you're doing your angel investing, is, that's, is that how you perceive as well? So do you go beyond capital to help with that sort of smart money? And, and if yes, so can you give us examples of how you help the startups to come along? Yeah, absolutely. So yes, I would call myself smart money, although you know that feels a little bit like I'm bragging, but you know. Um, so the, the way that I pitch this to founders, actually, I'll start with before I ran an angel syndicate, I when I first started investing in the first couple of years, my check sizes were small. And so my only choice, like if you if you're walking into a startup and say, hey, I want to drop 50,000 or $100,000 into your startup, you can be dumb money, you can drop that money in and go off to Bermuda, like, you know, generally, it's like, great, you know, especially at the early stages, um, you know, maybe when they're raising 20 mil plus, not so much, but like at the early stages, um, if you're dropping more than 50,000, generally, it's a yes, um, <laughs> you know, because founders like your money, and um, and they're excited about someone who's who's backing their company at those early stages. Um, my check size was small, and so I often had to talk my way onto cap tables and convince founders that I was valuable and that they should take my money because taking my money meant that they got access to me. And in the first couple of years, you know, that wasn't that wasn't as easy as it is now. Like now I get founders being like, we'll take whatever you give us. Like, we just want you, um, which is pretty freaking cool, if I'm totally honest. But at the start, it was very much like, here's how I can help. Um, I can be really useful in these ways. And those ways um, were essentially a couple of things. One, um, my background is in marketing and through my work with um with StartCon building that company and a number of other things and working with um, as an advisor for other founders, like I, I can, I'm fairly good at building like B2B sales funnels. So if you're looking to build like your B2B inbound marketing, I can help with that um, to the point where like I can jump in and like help make sure your HubSpot <laughs> workflows are set up correctly. Um, or I can just give advice from the sidelines or test stuff out. Um, so I can be really helpful there. The other aspect that I can be super helpful is also through like when I was working at StartCon, Stone and Shock, ACS, I've built a really huge network. Like my personal CRM, just my personal one, not anything to do with work. My personal CRM is over 10,000 people. Um, and what that means that it is if a founder is looking to connect with someone, I usually know someone, or I usually know that someone personally, or I know someone who knows that someone personally. Um, and so I can make connections that can be really, really useful and I can open doors. Um, and then the last one is if they're planning to go to the VC backed route, like I have built really good relationships with a lot of the VCs in Australia, not so much overseas, but um, if they're looking for, you know, helping them step up to the next stage of funding, then I can at least open doors and help them get a, get a pitch to, to one of the people at the, at the fund. So that's the ways that I, um, 
was and still am very helpful to founders personally. The cool thing about running an angel syndicate now, so kind of fast forwarding to now, is um, I because I bring all of these other people in on the deal with me, not only does the founder get access to me, but they get access to all of the angels who invest in their round in the um, in the deal with me. And so it's like they get access to a whole heap of really helpful angels without any of the admin because I, I handle all the admin. They only have one line on their cap table, but they can go, hey, Cheryl, I'm looking for this. And I go, awesome. Like, that's not my area of expertise. I don't know anything about, um, I don't know, consumer marketing, but I do have someone in the syndicate and they would love to help you with that. So I'm awesome. even more valuable now. <laughs> yeah. Now that's, that's uh, uh, look, I, I have to say again, the, the, the way... Uh, uh, the self confident that you that you mirror, you know, and and, and the way you come with uh, uh, assurance of the capabilities that you bring along. That's uh, that's it. Well, I, I think uh, you, you might have a good idea of how valuable that is. That's pretty good. So uh, I mean, I uh, hope so, but at the same yeah. time, like, there's still a level of like, am I just totally like, you know, imposter syndrome? Like, am I just totally bullshitting here or? Is this, yeah, don't worry. I'm not like the most confident person yeah, in the world, but. <laughs> so there is one thing that you, that you emphasize a lot as well. So, and, and you embodies it. So sometimes I try to uh, chat with people and, 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 and talk about the importance of uh, the way I frame is social capital. And when uh, really, because people talk about, talk a lot about networking and, and while networking is you know it's extremely important and, and you you need that to do business you need that for your social life so when, when that becomes social capital is where uh that network that you have really has value to connect people to create opportunities to you know uh and, and you it, you embody that concept of the social capital quite quite well so uh it's very nice to hear <laughs> thank you uh, in, 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 in what you just mentioned, uh, I'm curious about something else that sometimes is uncomfortable as well. So uh, you talk about uh, small checks and, and big checks and, you know, what you know, uh, uh, talking that say doesn't really get to know what, what is small, what is not small. So, yeah. uh, and one thing that I, that I, have big interest as well. So, and I think people uh, listening to us will have is this uh, early stage investment in Australia is, is regulated. We have this concept of the sophisticated investor. Right? So to become sophisticated, to be a sophisticated investor, you need to meet some asset criteria, some, you know, have uh, annual earnings at certain level or, or hold uh, assets at, at a certain amount. So it doesn't give access to everyone. So some people probably not eligible to do this. Uh, and, and, and then you also have that barrier of, you know, I don't have 50K to invest, I may have five. So uh, would, you, would you have your own flavor and comment about that first, that sort of regulation part, talk about the access to it, you know, the sophisticated investor thing. And then the check sizes to also to provide access to people. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'll address the check sizes first. Um, cause I'm one of those people that like, I don't, I don't mind talking specifics about money. Um, when I first started, my check size was 10 K $10,000 was the amount that I put into each startup. I, for the first 10 deals. And I was pretty specific about that. Um, mm. after the first two, the first two were a little bit more because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but so 10 K and 10 K is less than half the typical minimum check size of a founder's first or second raise. Um, so typically founders, uh, when they're doing their, their angel round or their like pre-seed round, minimum check sizes at the minimum are like $25,000. Um, some of them will have a $50,000 minimum, but like the minimum you're usually looking at is 25,000. So my check size being less than half that made it more difficult for me to convince founders to take my money. Um, anything less than that, probably you'd have to be super valuable. Um, and there are people way more valuable than me that get in with much less than $10,000, but I'm just saying I struggled, um, in the early days. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's when I say a small check, I say like $10,000 is a small check because it's less than half of the minimum that startups typically want at that stage. Now, in terms of access, and also I will comment that that is going directly. Um, that's actually investing directly to get on the cap table, which is the capitalization table of the startup, like their regist company registry, essentially. Um, when I first started four years ago, there weren't too many other options to invest uh, less than the $25,000 minimum. Um, so there's virtual and equitize. So those are uh, retail equity um, crowdfunding platforms and those are open to everyone. And you can invest, I think as low as like $250, um, which is pretty cool. And then there are also syndicates. And I think at the time when I started, there was maybe like two um, or three. I think there was 1013 Gelix and uh, Eleanor Venture at the time, which is now Flying Fox. But um, most of those had a, like 1013's minimum is 10,000 USD usually. Uh, at the time, Gelix's was 10 and uh, Flying Fox was usually 5,000, um, which meant that you could get in. However, through syndicates, those are typically reserved for wholesale investors. Now, there's three ways you can be a wholesale investor, but most people qualify as the sophisticated investor test. Uh, and that uh, that is two ways. One is having an income each year for the previous two years of $250,000 or more, or having more than $2.5 million in assets. That gets you a sophisticated investor, which classifies you as a wholesale investor. Uh, I did not meet that. <laughs> and, uh, and so that meant that investing through syndicates was off limits to me at the time. Um, there are, I think, uh, things and conversations in the works to potentially uh, create a new path to wholesale status through education uh, and or codifying the third one. Um, so there's the sophisticated uh, path. There's uh, professional, which is really for like people who manage funds. And the last one is the experienced. Um, so there are conversations uh, happening in the market and the public um, right now that are talking about hopefully codifying that last one, which will allow people who want access to this asset class to be able to do so through an education path, which is something that I strongly believe in. Cool. Very nice. So uh, we, we, we do, we, we are, we have been talking about that a lot in terms of uh, providing other paths for people to, to, to become investors in the early stage. So there's uh, 
for me, there are two things there. One is, uh, you know, for the early stage startups to have access to more capital. Right? So uh, the other thing as well is that uh, is, is, a, is a big contradiction. Sometimes we talk about, uh, well, uh, the parody that I use is this. So investment houses, Needs of you know you need to be a wholesale investor to join as an investor because you're you know your make you uh, you know have the credentials to be able to do that and the analyst that's doing some of the DG sometimes themselves are the one qualifying the deal and then themselves they themselves they cannot they don't qualify as sophisticated investors and cannot invest in the deals. So, which is quite ironic, right? So it's you providing advice sometimes and you're not being able to do it yourself. So that, that, that needs to be essentially corrected, I guess. Correct, so, yes. Chero, <laughs> uh, uh, I think, uh, I, I, think I, will, I will bother you for us to have another one of these. So we get into the 30 minutes and we didn't even start it. <laughs> So I'm very, uh, very happy to do another one, Wilson. Yeah. Uh, look, in that sort of space, so it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, you didn't qualify as a sophisticated investor when you started. So uh, then they ask, the question I would ask you is, uh, might, well, I'm actually, I'm sure that there will be people listening to this that are in that sort of situation. Uh, they would love to be more active in this space, but they don't qualify as a sophisticated investor. So do you have like those, you know, small, you know, top one or two tips for people to start their journey when that's the case? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, retail platform. So if you're not a wholesale investor, you're considered a retail investor. So um, retail equity crowdfunding platforms, uh, like virtual equitized venture crowd, I'm probably missing a couple. Uh, those are good options for retail investors to just kind of dip their toes in the water and be able to invest, you know, 500 bucks there, 500 here and there. Um, if you're really, really passionate about wanting to invest in this asset class being early stage startups, you can go the path that I went, which is you do not have to be a sophisticated investor or wholesale investor to invest directly into a company. Private companies can raise up to $2 million from retail investors in a 12 month period, uh, which means that they'll, they will take your check. And I slogged it out and I, I convinced founders that I was valuable and that they should take my check, even though it was small. Um, if you have larger checks and, you know, you, even though you don't qualify um, with the net assets or income, but you want to put, you for some reason have lots of money and, um, and want to put bigger checks than that, that is easier to do because convincing founders to take more money is, is easier than convincing founders to take less money. Um, but you can, you can absolutely take the path that I, I did. And for the first two years, I, I, that's what I did. I, I convinced founders to take my small checks. Um, but I would say that that is a commitment because you don't want to just do two and then stop. You need to do 10, ideally 20, um, at least 20 in your, in your kind of investing lifetime. Um, so you want to make sure that you do have enough to cover that kind of diversity if you're going directly and not just enough money, but also enough time. Um, I can tell you right now, like angel investing can be a full-time job. Um, and when, you know, when I first started, like I had to look at a lot of companies, I'd talked to a lot of founders, I had to do a lot of research. So, um, it's not just make sure you have enough money, but make sure you have enough time to allocate to do this. Uh, it, it is a big endeavor. It's also risky. 
Um, so I would just encourage you to think about like, are you just trying to find the next Facebook because you want to get in on the next Facebook and you just want to find it and best and walk away? Cause that's not going to work. Um, it really needs to be like a, a passion labor, labor of passion, I think is the, is the term. Um, and, and really doing it for other, other reasons than just wanting to get rich. Uh, because I, I assure you <laughs> there are better and easier ways to get rich than uh, to find the next Facebook. Very nice. I like I like your expression, label of passion. Yeah. So uh, uh, everyone, this is Cheryl. Uh, short conversation, but I'm completely you know, fascinated by it. So it, it, it makes me want to know more about what you do, Cheryl. Uh, I'm very humble and grateful that you, you sharing uh, your stories with us. Uh, thank you very much. No problem at all. And if anyone is interested in uh, joining my syndicate, uh, even if you aren't uh, considered a wholesale investor, I encourage you to come sign up. Uh, we, we're, I constantly share things anyway, and we can keep in touch. And if things change, um, you know, I can still help you through that journey. So I would encourage you to come to aussieangels.com slash syndicates and uh, register for any of the syndicates, including mine, that resonate with you. Very nice. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll see you again in the next uh, interview of Changing the Game. Cheers. Thanks.